Hi, I'm Shen Ning. And I'm Mehdi Jurfi, and you are listening to another episode of Science Rehashed, where we bring groundbreaking discoveries to everyone for free. So today we have Madura Lolikar, and she produced this episode. Thanks for joining us today, Madura. Yes, thanks, Shen and Mehdi, for having me. I love coming back and talking about science. So let's get right at it. What comes to your mind when I say liver regeneration, Mary? Hmm, that the liver has the greatest regeneration capacity of any organ in the body? Yes, to a point that if you give away as much as 70% of your liver, you can still survive because it regenerates. Well, regrowth is the right word, but we are not getting into that. But do you remember that in our episode 27 with Dr. Anthony Atala, while talking about his work on lab-grown uterus, he mentioned that liver is one of the most complex organs to regenerate in the lab because of the density of the cells it has, the number of interactions it has with our organs in the body, and that it is literally drowned in blood vessels. Yeah, absolutely. That was such an amazing interview and a great introduction to regenerative medicine. And regarding the liver, um, I guess it kind of makes sense because it is the largest organ in the body and it serves more than, I'm sure, like 500 different functions. And that's fascinating, right? And we'll learn more about how complicated the liver is from Dr. Mo Ibrahim Khani, who is a principal investigator at the Pittsburgh Liver Research Center and McGowan Institute of Regenerative Medicine and an associate professor at University of Pittsburgh. I, I would say it is a chemical laboratory that exists in our, in our body to control concentration of many, many different proteins, carbohydrates, lipids, and uh, different type of uh, molecules that actually it is in our bloodstream is controlled by uh, hepatocyte and the liver cells. So that is, I think, the main uh, important task of the liver, that controlling the biochemical uh, hemostasis that exists in our body. Its anatomical location is located at a place that receives all of this blood from intestine. So you have this food antigen and everything comes to the liver. Liver control control that and send it back to the bloodstream. But you also receive a lot of uh, bacterial byproduct, a lot of antigens that can stimulate the the immune system. If you take the liver out, it can induce sepsis. It can induce actually inflammation. So liver has also very interesting role as a uh, tolerogenic organs to control immune system inside the body. So hepatocytes are main uh, kind of a uh, building block of the liver, but there are other cell types. So we have uh, endothelial cells that are have a very unique uh, structure in the liver, uh, and they are important in actually uh, endocytosis of many different type of proteins and antigens that comes to the liver. There are Kupfer cells, a resident macrophage population that live in a liver and then uh, do surveillance of this vasculature for any bacteria or any other type of things. Also, they, they, they are known to be very important as a sensors for sensing a damage 
and then releasing the uh, kind of a signals to, to alarm other cells inside the liver. Then there are these esthelet cells. They name it esthelet cells, but actually they are resident pericytes inside the liver. And these cells are important for healing response. For example, for regeneration uh, and also for uh, fibrogenesis and scar formation. Those cells also are known that are important also in controlling the liver regeneration because it is not just a matter of when to start, it is also the matter of when to stop, right? So you want to signals that understand when to stop. Apart from that, there is a whole kind of peculiar uh, subpopulation of immune cells that exist inside the liver. For, exa for example, there is a population that is named natural killer T cells, NKT cells, that are, that are very unique uh, inside the liver. And uh, so the immune system is completely another game and a lot of different cells involved. I am really fascinated that the liver has so many different types of cells. But then the question is, if liver is very well known for its regenerative capacity, why should we care about the regenerative medicine for liver at all? Exactly. So think about what would happen when liver loses that regenerative capacity. So that's true. It has a liver can regenerate back if you remove 75 or 70% of the liver, uh, especially in moss and, and also in human. Uh, but still, uh, by some unknown mechanism, during the alcoholic liver injury, fatty liver disease, uh, hepatitis and infection, that regenerative capacity is lost. And uh, then that healing process ends up to be actually more toward fibrogenesis and generation of the scar tissue. And that's why, uh, while it has this unique capacity, at the same time it fails during those kind of chronic tissue injuries. And uh, as a result of that, there are many patients in uh, transplant list for, for liver. Um, that's, that's actually very true. Uh, one can think of another treatment for liver injuries and diseases, which is liver transplantation. But as we remember from our episode eight with Dr. Kirkett Organ, that we discussed more deeply into the liver transplantation, we learned that liver transplantation has its own challenge with liver preservation, lack of enough donors, as well as transplant rejections. Another alternative is to simply make the liver in the lab and then transplant it into the patient's body. Yeah, make what you want, right? Conceptually sounds obvious and straightforward idea, but of course it's not. Today we discuss Dr. Mo's paper published in Cell Systems on how his group decoded the program of mature liver, grew them in the lab from stem cells, and then transplanted those in the sick mice with liver disease, which in turn extended their lives. And you guys have to guess what they call the livers they grew in lab. I don't know. Um, the first guess is liver in a dish. <laughs> uh, Bio-inspired engineered liver. Close, close. Or artificial liver. <laughs> okay. Any more guesses, Mehdi? Liver on a chip. But it's not on a chip. <laughs> I don't know, but that's my area of expertise. <laughs> 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 
All right. I think all these ideas are too too mainstream for the research they did. They are called designer liver organoids. That's a very and that's sexy not name. mainstream. <laughs> <laughs> and and there's a reason for it, by the way. Well, I can't wait to hear more about how they make it happen. Before we move on, I would like to make sure that we remind our audience of our Patreon account. We're all a team of very passionate volunteers. And if you like the show and want to help us continue making the content you enjoy, please consider becoming one of our patrons at patreon.com slash join slash science rehashed. You can support us with a very small contribution of only $3 a month. And then if you you know contribute $5 a month, you can become a VIP patron. And our first 10 VIP patrons will receive a free Science Rehash water bottle. Sign up at patreon.com slash join slash science rehashed. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash join slash science rehashed. But for now, let's go back to our discussion with Mo. So, so when we interviewed Dr. Mo Ibrahim Khani, I realized that he's really inspired by nature. And in fact, his research is uh, driven by his curiosity of how the organ, human organs develop and regenerate. I think in a way, obviously, one of the part of the inspiration comes from uh, the, the problem, the problem that exists at the level of a uh, um, patients and the need for tissues and organs. And so that is a, one of the main uh, avenues that drive us to generate therapeutics for regenerative medicine or tissues and organs in the lab. But at the same um, time, I have a very uh, kind of inherent interest and excitement about uh, how, how we are generated or developed in, in nature. And we are very excited to try to understand the design principles that control uh, the development of uh, our organs and our tissues. And I feel if we can understand that, it has a lot of application in uh, development of the new therapies for the different disease. But at the same time, we understand um, how we are um, developed. So what his team basically does is decode the genetic programming in our bodies and it's the program that you, is used to develop organs, and then engineer those set of instructions or genetic pathways into stem cells in order to regrow them in a dish in the lab. So the overarching theme of the research program that uh, we try to push in the lab is trying to read and write uh, tissue uh, identity. So we try to read that using systems biology and computational analysis to extract the design principle that how our tissues are really developing our body what are the rules and guidelines so we extract it and then we write it back using synthetic biology and genetic engineering in stem cells to make the cells to go through the same developmental pathways to generate our organs but not inside the body outside the body so there is this integration of these two fields and the goal here is to generate programmable tissues so for programming part, the language that we use, if you want to put in a more like a, a simple way, would be a genetic language, in a way inspired by our own 
um, development that the genetic lang language were used several times to generate many different uh, identities in the context of our organs. So we use genetic programming to, to read and write the information. And we think that could generate a tissue by genetic design because uh, you then can change your language to program your cells or tissues toward a different type of identity. That was uh, why we focused on this kind of approach that start to discover what is a program that gives us a liver and what is a program that gives us a maturation of a liver. So, and then uh, extract that information and then use genetic engineering for writing into the stem cells. Fascinating, and I was indeed waiting for this part of stem cells, and I would like to explain this for our audience a little bit further. Stem cells are special human cells that are able to develop into many different cell types. These can range from muscle cells to brain cells. In some cases, they can also fix damaged tissues. And researchers believe these days that stem cell-based therapies and regenerative medicine may one day be used to treat serious illness such as Alzheimer's disease. Within that, there are different types of stem cells. In Dr. Mo Ibrahim Khani's paper, they used human-induced pluripotent stem cells or iPSCs. So they are pluripotent stem cells because they are cells that can differentiate to any type of cells or organs in our body. Uh, so that's why they are named pluripotent. And they are stem cells, so they can differentiate, they can self-renew. But they are induced, meaning that uh, many years ago, by some uh, pioneer scientists, uh, they um, actually discovered a specific genetic elements, or I would say transcription factors, that you engineer them into a fibroblast or a skin fibroblast or any type of cells. And then you can program the cells to become like a pluripotent stem cells. And that's why we name it induced pluripotent stem cells. And that those cells are very uh, interesting because you can imagine that you can use any cell type that is accessible for us, for example, the skin cells. And then you start to uh, use those cells to generate their stem cells from the same individual and then differentiate it back to any type of organs or tissues or cell type that you are interested in. So I want to know why they didn't use adult stem cells, which are quite commonly used in regenerative medicine for cell therapies. That's a good point, Shen. And if you remember, that actually came up in our discussion. So liver is not just made up of one type of cell, right? as we discussed earlier. So adult stem cells typically are programmed to give one particular type of cell of that organ. And that one type of cell will not capture the entire complexity of liver. Dr. Ibrahim Khani explains it further. So if we use adult stem cells, they developmentally they are very limited. So they can generate hepatocyte, but they cannot generate vascular cells or they cannot generate. So it would, that is one um, angle that we were interested in iPS cells. Then you can imagine other things too. For example, um, if you use adult stem cells, you have to take a biopsy from a patient or to, to be able to use, to get access to that cell type. For iPS cells, you can generate it de novo in the lab and then you can use it. For, so if we can get it to work, then it would be very valuable. Imagine that, for example, if you think about uh, a bridge and a brakes, 
bricks cannot capture the complexity of the bridge. The same way if we study just one cell population cannot capture the complexity of the whole liver. So we need to think about uh, organ-like tissue or organ-like structure, which we name it organoid. But if you want to define it, it's basically 3D, uh, 3D tissues or structures that are generated from stem cells through a process of the self-organization and self-assembly of the cells. And they can uh, produce some aspects of the tissue function and some aspects of the tissue structure. And stay with us to know how they use machine learning to develop designer liver organoids from human-induced pluripotent stem cells. We are trying something new on our Twitter. Come share your thoughts or questions on the latest Science Rehashed episodes. Rehash the episode with us at Science Rehashed, that's science, R-E-H-A-S-H-E-D, using the hashtag SR episode, that's S-R-E-P-I-S-O-D-E. See you there. And as promised, we are reading a comment every single episode from Apple Podcast. And this week we have Lorben27 who says, quote, This podcast is perfect for anyone who's interested in science but doesn't have the time to sift through papers for hours. Easy to follow and really interesting combos. Well, thank you, Lorben27, for encouraging comments. Listeners, if you want to give us some good or critical feedback, please do feel free to comment on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we will always read your comment, whether it's good or bad, and we'll do it every single episode. We, I had done some studies back at MIT to generate a fetal liver using a, a simple genetic circuit. Uh, and that was by try and error, finding a, a genetic circuit that can give you a fetal liver. But we didn't know what would be the pathway that can get this synthetic tissue to, to an adult liver. Uh, what are the genetic um, differences? And when you look at the genetic differences, there are thousands and thousands of genes. So it is very hard to which one to choose and what we should do with that. So that is, was the motivation to then thinking we can't just go ahead and just engineer thousands of genes in our stem cells. We need to uh, carefully select the nodes that control many different genes. So by targeting those nodes, you control the whole network. Uh, so at that time, I was looking into the basically other scientists who are uh, trying to tackle this challenge. And I came to uh, a lab from uh, Cahan Lab at Johns Hopkins University. So Patrick Cahan was at actually Harvard University before, and he developed this machine learning algorithm named CellNet with, uh, in uh, laboratory of Dr. Daly's lab. Uh, and then uh, he started his lab based on development of the, that program. Of our study that we were very excited about it is the framework that we developed, a framework of engineering that may not be just applicable to liver, it can be applicable to any organs, which is integration of the systems biology and synthetic biology for programming uh, organ formation in vitro. So that is kind of a, something that we think it can act as an oven to make any sort of food rather than a, a specific type of food. 
So this is really exciting, and I'm going to use an analogy Dr. Mo used to explain in their machine learning algorithm called CellNet. They created this map of the body like a Google map where destinations are the organs. And they created this algorithm using the genetic and functional signatures of adult livers to figure out the sh shortest route to engineer an adult liver organoid in a dish. That's a very nice analogy, Shin, and it's a very, uh, very interesting approach that Dr. Mo Ibrahim Khani used in, for this paper. It is very, very challenging to mature specific organs, including liver, brain, and other organs in the lab unless you grow them for decades, which is not practical. However, in these research, they use specific algorithm to find few genetic nodes that, they, that you can incorporate into induced pluripotent stem cells to form mature or as close as to mature liver organoid, what they call designer liver organoids. Uh, I would say gene regulatory networks, uh, it's a very complex network that exists in our cells that control the final operation of the cells. Obviously, there are other things that are important. There are soluble factors come to the cells. There are mechanical signals come to the cells and also electrical signals that can control the final behavior of the cells. But you can imagine there is this network of the gene, regu gene regulatory network that continuously receive the signal, perform computation, and then produce an outcome. So there is this processor in the cell that does that. So you can, and the, I think the good thing about the general gluten network is that it's very um, programmable, right? You can turn it on and off with recent CRISPR technology or other type of technologies. You can go there and tweak the different nodes in the network to change that. And now you know why they're called designer liver organoids. The livers generated by genetic design. Ah, huh. I get it. Okay, this is quite remarkable. They found, I believe, about a 75 to 80% genetic similarity between these designer liver organoids and the adult human liver, and also about 65% functional similarity uh, with human livers. Obviously, the function is a very wide space, and we can, um, so much we can do to, to measure that. We have uh, performed several tests of the functional assays to compare it with the liver cells. And in some cases, we could see very close proximity, such as albumin production. In some cases, it was close, better than other existing uh, tools, but uh, still there is some gap to fill. And eventually, when implanted into the mice, we, we could see that actually it could Im improve the survival of the mice after the liver injury and produce human kind of proteins inside the um, uh, in, inside the mouth, in bloodstream. And I'm sure there are many people who would like to get to know more details from these very exciting paper that is published in Cell Systems from Dr. Mo Ibrahim Khani and learn more about the approach, how they matured liver organoid and what genes they used. Please check it out. It is on our website, uh, on the episode sections and on sciencelyhash.com slash SR episodes. Let's hear a little bit more about the characteristics of these designer liver organoids, which they were able to create in about two and a half weeks, and their mice study where they were able to transplant these organoids into actual animals. 
Uh, obviously, they are very small. Uh, they are uh, in the, I would say, in the range of millimeter size, one millimeter, two millimeter size. Uh, it's a little bit can be obvious. The, the good thing about our approach is that you you have this population of stem cells that are they can be programmed to become liver. So you can scale it up. You can put it in a, a small dish, larger dish. We haven't gone very large, obviously, but you can change the size. It is vas- self-vascularized, as it is produced, it produces its own vasculature. So as a result of that, uh, it is promising that it can increase the size without getting to the nec- necrosis at the center. Then the other thing here is, uh, but because it is a small, uh, you cannot just go with one of it. We implanted many of them, like 11 of them, 12 of them in, in a mouse to get some level of effect. You can implant more, and those are the future things to address, how to put together all of the tissue, where to put it, put it in the liver or put it in, a, for example, peritoneal cavity in, in abdomen. In, uh, so there are those kind of things that you can obviously optimize. The mouse that we used was um, um, a, a mouse, immunodeficient mice, so it can accept the human cells. Uh, but at the same time, it has a, a genetic uh, deficiency, so it cannot metabolize a specific uh, kind of products that usually are metabolized in the liver. As a result of that, there are lots, some sort of toxic uh, metabolites that are generated in the liver, induce liver injury, and the mouse would uh, die after a period of time because of the liver damage. So we implanted the liver organoids or these deslos or designer liver organoids in the mouse and we could say uh, we, we could see some improvement in the in the uh, in survival of the mouse and also importantly see some of the important proteins are generated in human proteins are generated in mouse blood and we could measure that because human and mouse protein were different we could measure that uh, for human with human assays uh, it is just a proof of principle that it is promising, and I think we, we, we have a long way to go to further optimize it and also improve the liver function to really reach 100% to liver. Even, but one, one angle of that I would like to maybe emphasize here, we, we don't need to generate a full liver. Sometimes we can think about a, a design, a final design in mind, and then try to generate that. For example, what is the need in that specific patient? And we try to kind of uh, engineer that specific aspect inside the tissue. I would like to make sure that we remind our audience of our Patreon account. We're all a team of very passionate volunteers. And if you like the show and want to help us continue making the content you enjoy, please consider becoming one of our patrons at patreon.com slash join slash science rehashed. You can support us with a very small contribution of only $3 a month. And then if you get, you know contribute $5 a month, you can become a VIP patron. And our first 10 VIP patrons will receive a free science rehash water bottle. Sign up at patreon.com slash join slash science rehashed. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash join slash science rehashed. But for now, let's go back to our discussion with Mo.
guess one thing that that comes up quite a lot with organoid uh, science and, and um, you know uh, regenerative medicine based on organoids is repro- reproducibility and how easy it is to scale up and to replicate the results you found, for example, and presented in this paper. Good point, Chen. In fact, their approach of manipulating the stem cells by genetic engineering gave them more control than some other organoid models developed by treating stem cells with growth factors. And that ability to control gives them more chances of reproducibility. So when organoids generated from stem cells, uh, they are usually uh, not fully mature. They are immature. They, uh, they mimic a fetal-like phenotype. Uh, they sometimes lack vascularity. As a result of this kind of uh, immaturity, sometimes they have aberrant signature of uh, other organs. For example, you have liver, but you may have other kind of aberrant signature that you don't want. And all of these together also um, decrease the reproducibility, robustness, re- reliability. I would say one of the uh, ways that uh, we approach the field of organogenesis in a dish was using growth factors to, uh, to add growth factors, a cocktail of growth factors at different time to, uh, to help the cells differentiate toward the organoids. Uh, also, but there are some challenges with the growth factor too. Growth factor can uh, limit your spatiotemporal control, which cells would receive the growth factor, which cells w- you don't want to receive the growth factor. Also, in some cases, you can imagine when you think about a complex tissue that has a multiple cell type, different cells need a different growth factor. So it would be very hard to find a common media that can support generation of the different cell types. And you, if you imagine, even if you come a little bit uh, in a bigger picture, you want to generate maybe two organoids or three organoids connected with each other, that would be even harder. So, and that is how actually we uh, started to think about genetic engineering and using genetic circuit. Because in, in, in this case, when we generate organoids, we don't add any growth factors. We basically genetically program the cells to generate the factors they need. As they are developing, they generate the scaffold that they need, and they generate the vascular system and cell types, and then the cells assemble together. So uh, I, I, we believe that this would improve the robustness, reliability, and also give us a, a unique scale-up approach. At the same time, it decreased the cost because uh, and you don't have a batch-to-batch variability of the growth factors that usually you would encounter when you use growth factors. These switches give you that ability. You can turn it on at any time. You can put the cells inside the body, for example. They are pre-programmed to become liver or endothelial cells, for example, and then turn them on when you need that and then they become the tissue of interest. Exciting point is that if you do it that way, you even can use the microphysiological environment of the body to generate your tissue. This is one of the also future things that we are uh, looking into doing, that it can be generated the liver inside uh, organism rather than outside the body. And because when you generate with a growth factor, you cannot add the growth factor in the body, right? But when you have a genetic switches, you can gives you that capacity, temporal and especially. You can also link it to the uh, genetic program of the cells to decide at what time and which cell type turn it on. For example, do you want endothelial cells to turn on the program or do you want the hepatocyte to turn on the program? 
So you can link it to the some specific molecular elements of those cell types to activate your program at the time or location of interest. That's fascinating, actually. And I'm trying to piece the rationale behind their approach together to understand the implications of these research. So just thinking out loud here, using induced pluripotent stem cells will give us an opportunity for personalized medicine in the future. But the question is, what is personalized medicine and why we should care about it? When this technology gets approved for human use, hopefully in the near future, scientists just could make induced pluripotent stem cells from the, your body and quickly generate a liver or any organ of choice for you and test new drugs or candidates on it that best suits you and it's ready for transplantation. The waiting list for transplantation these days can range from years to a decade. And when you generate an organ from your own cells, first, you don't need to wait for any transplantation or any donor. And second, your body will not reject it because it's made from your own cells. Precisely. And this type of genetic engineering approach really gives you really good control to form the right type and the right number of cells needed to capture the complexity of the liver. And not only that, this technology can be applied to other organs as well. That is exactly one of the angles uh, that we are trying to push in, in the lab as a one of the next steps uh, to try to, uh, I mean, if you think about the programmable tissues, we would think about, for example, when we are, do this programming from stem cells toward the liver, uh, many organs are started to, you know, go through the common paths at the start, and then they are to specialize more and more. So if you find those sweet spots, you can start to just reprogram it toward another direction. One of the organs could be pancreas because it is very similar developmentally, at least at the start, to liver. And um, other, other type of tissues. So we are... We are trying to test that, to see how much uh, we can program uh, the, the tissue to our different type of uh, pathways and different type of identities. Uh, not just that. For example, you can think about, some, sometimes you can think about an organ. Sometimes you can think about uh, some sort of a functionality, such as vascularization, such as innervation. So is it possible that we have uh, these pre-programmed cells that are programmed and this tends to become endothelial cells. They are not endothelial cells, but then the, you can uh, basically implant them at the location that you want, turn the, um, basically turn the program on, and they become endothelial cells in a short period of time, for example, in five days or in 10 days. So, um, so we are testing that. Some, we had some success in some aspect of this. Um, and uh, to basically... There is a two-part. two, way, two part. One part, finding the program. The second part, writing back in a, in, a, in a best way in a stem cells. Because there are also some challenges in that aspect. You need to program to function robustly over the time. It doesn't get silenced over the time. Also, um, control the special temporary control the program. When, how, and uh, at what kind of location it started to be on in the tissue. You don't want every cell to turn on the same program. So many points to consider. 
although they have to work a lot to make this possible in humans. So the most exciting part of their paper for me is their machine learning algorithm CellNet. That combined with genetic engineering tools like CRISPR made the rest of the benchwork possible. Yeah, and so for me, this paper really highlighted how complex each organ is. And in order to make organs in a dish, you really have to explore that complexity and be able to apply that complexity in order to really replicate and recapitulate the organ in its whole functional form. Absolutely. The body's organs are more complex than any factory. And attempts to mirror their physiology in the laboratory are getting closer and closer to recapitulate the, the, the physiological relevance of these organs. Within that, we thank Dr. Mo Ibrahim Khani for joining us for this fascinating episode. Thank you for listening to another episode of Science Rehashed. This episode was written by Madura Lolikar, edited by Sophia Nastri, and mixed by Jared Warsoff. The cover art for this episode was created by our creative director, Emma Brand. And our show is available through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please subscribe and refer our podcast to your friends. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can visit our website at sciencelyhash.com. We would love to hear your comments and feedback for our show, so please do not hesitate to reach out to us via our website. <laughs>